Chapter Seven of the Pursuit of God. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Pursuit of God by A. W. Tozer. Chapter Seven: The Gaze of the Soul. Looking unto Jesus, the Author and Finisher of our faith. Hebrews twelve two. Let us think of our intelligent plain man mentioned in chapter 6 coming for the first time to the reading of the scriptures. He approaches the Bible without any previous knowledge of what it contains. He is wholly without prejudice. He has nothing to prove and nothing to defend. Such a man will not have read long until his mind begins to observe certain truths standing out from the page. They are the spiritual principles behind the record of God's dealings with men, and woven into the writings of holy men as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. As he reads on he might want to number these truths as they become clearer to him, and make a brief summary under each number. These summaries will be the tenets of his biblical creed. Further reading will not affect these points except to enlarge and strengthen them. Our man is finding out what the Bible actually teaches. High up on the list of things which the Bible teaches will be the doctrine of faith. The place of weighty importance which the Bible gives to faith will be too plain for him to miss. He will very likely conclude, faith is all-important in the life of the soul. Without faith it is impossible to please God. Faith will get me anything, take me anywhere in the kingdom of God, but without faith there can be no approach to God, no forgiveness, no deliverance, no salvation, no communion, no spiritual life at all. By the time our friend has reached the eleventh chapter of Hebrews, the eloquent encomium which is there pronounced upon faith will not seem strange to him. He will have read Paul's powerful defense of faith in his Roman and Galatian epistles. Later, if he goes on to study church history, he will understand the amazing power in the teachings of the Reformers, as they showed the central place of faith in the Christian religion. Now if faith is so vitally important, if it is an indispensable must in our pursuit of God, it is perfectly natural that we should be deeply concerned over whether or not we possess this most precious gift. And our minds being what they are, it is inevitable that sooner or later we should get around to inquiring after the nature of faith. What is faith would lie close to the question, do I have faith, and would demand an answer if it were anywhere to be found. Almost all who preach or write on the subject of faith have much the same things to say concerning it. They tell us that it is believing a promise, that it is taking God at his word, that it is reckoning the Bible to be true and stepping out upon it. The rest of the book or sermon is usually taken up with stories of persons who have had their prayers answered as a result of their faith. These answers are mostly direct gifts of a practical and temporal nature such as health, money, physical protection or success in business. Or if the teacher is of a philosophic turn of mind, he may take another course and lose us in the welter of metaphysics, or snow us under with psychological jargon, as he defines and redefines, paring the slender hair of faith thinner and thinner, till it disappears in gossamer shavings at last. When he is finished we get up disappointed and go out by that same door wherein we went. Surely there must be something better than this. In the scriptures there is practically no effort made to define faith. Outside of a brief fourteen-word definition in Hebrews 11.1, 1, I know of no biblical definition, and even there faith is defined functionally, not philosophically. That is, it is a statement of what faith is in operation, not what it is in essence. 
it assumes the presence of faith and shows what it results in rather than what it is we will be wise to go just that far and attempt to go no further we are told from whence it comes and by what means faith is a gift of god and faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of god this much is clear and to paraphrase thomas a kempis i had rather exercise faith than know the definition thereof from here on when the words faith is or their equivalent occur in this chapter i ask that they be understood to refer to what faith is in operation as exercised by a believing man right here we drop the notion of definition and think about faith as it may be experienced in action the complexion of our thoughts will be practical not theoretical in a dramatic story in the book of numbers faith is seen in action israel became discouraged and spoke against god and the lord sent fiery serpents among them and they bit the people and much people of israel died then moses sought the lord for them and he heard and gave them a remedy against the bite of the serpents he commanded moses to make a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole in sight of all the people and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten when he looketh upon it shall live moses obeyed and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man when he beheld the serpent of brass he lived numbers twenty one four through nine in the new testament this important bit of history is interpreted for us by no less an authority than our lord jesus christ himself he is explaining to his hearers how they may be saved he tells them that it is by believing then to make it clear he refers to this incident in the book of numbers as moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the son of man be lifted up that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life john three fourteen and fifteen our plain man in reading this would make an important discovery he would notice that look and believe were synonymous terms looking on the old testament serpent is identical with believing on the new testament christ that is the looking and the believing are the same thing and he would understand that while israel looked with their external eyes believing is done with the heart I think he would conclude that faith is the gaze of a soul upon a saving god when he had seen this he would remember passages he had read before and their meaning would come flooding over him they looked unto him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed psalm thirty four five unto thee lift i up mine eyes o thou that dwellest in the heavens behold as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters and as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress so our eyes wait upon the lord our god until that he have mercy upon us psalm one twenty three one and two here the man seeking mercy looks straight at the god of mercy and never takes his eyes away from him till mercy is granted and our lord himself looked always at god looking up to heaven he blessed and brake and gave the bread to his disciples matthew fourteen nineteen indeed jesus taught that he wrought his works by always keeping his inward eyes upon his father his power lay in his continuous look at god john five nineteen through twenty one in full accord with the few texts we have quoted is the whole tenor of the inspired word it is summed up for us in the hebrew epistle when we are instructed to run life's race looking unto jesus the author and finisher of our faith from all this we learn that faith is not a once-done act but a continuous gaze of the heart at the triune god 
believing then is directing the heart's attention to jesus it is lifting the mind to behold the lamb of god and never ceasing that beholding for the rest of our lives at first this may be difficult but it becomes easier as we look steadily at his wondrous person quietly and without strain distractions may hinder but once the heart is committed to him after each brief excursion away from him the attention will return again and rest upon him like a wandering bird coming back to its window i would emphasize this one committal this one great volitional act which establishes the heart's intention to gaze forever upon jesus god takes this intention for our choice and makes what allowances he must for the thousand distractions which beset us in this evil world he knows that we have set the direction of our hearts toward jesus and we can know it too and comfort ourselves with the knowledge that a habit of soul is forming which will become after a while a sort of spiritual reflex requiring no more conscious effort on our part faith is the least self-regarding of the virtues it is by its very nature scarcely conscious of its own existence like the eye which sees everything in front of it and never sees itself faith is occupied with the object upon which it rests and pays no attention to itself at all while we are looking at god we do not see ourselves blessed riddance the man who has struggled to purify himself and has had nothing but repeated failures will experience real relief when he stops tinkering with his soul and looks away to the perfect one while he looks at christ the very things he has so long been trying to do will be getting done within him it will be god working in him to will and to do faith is not in itself a meritorious act the merit is in the one toward whom it is directed faith is a redirecting of our sight a getting out of the focus of our own vision and getting god into focus sin has twisted our vision inward and made it self-regarding unbelief has put self where god should be and is perilously close to the sin of lucifer who said i will set my throne above the throne of god faith looks out instead of in and the whole life falls into line all this may seem too simple but we have no apology to make to those who would seek to climb into heaven after help or descend into hell god says the word is nigh thee even the word of faith the word induces us to lift up our eyes unto the lord and the blessed work of faith begins when we lift our inward eyes to gaze upon god we are sure to meet friendly eyes gazing back at us for it is written that the eyes of the lord run to and fro throughout all the earth the sweet language of experience is thou god seest me when the eyes of the soul looking out meet the eyes of god looking in heaven has begun right here on this earth when all my endeavor is turned toward thee because all thy endeavor is turned toward me when i look unto thee alone with all my attention nor ever turn aside the eyes of my mind because thou dost enfold me with thy constant regard when i direct my love toward thee alone because thou who art love's self hast turned thee toward me alone and what lord is my life save that embrace wherein thy delightsome sweetness doth so lovingly enfold me so wrote nicholas of cusa four hundred years ago i should like to say more about this old man of god he is not much known to-day anywhere among christian believers and among current fundamentalists he is not known at all i feel that we could gain much from a little acquaintance with men of his spiritual flavor and the school of christian thought which they represent 
christian literature to be accepted and approved by the evangelical leaders of our times must follow very closely the same train of thought a kind of party line from which it is scarcely safe to depart a half-century of this in america has made us smug and content we imitate each other with slavish devotion and our most strenuous efforts are put forth to try to say the same thing that every one around us is saying and yet to find an excuse for saying it some little safe variation on the approved theme or if no more at least a new illustration nicholas was a true follower of christ a lover of the lord radiant and shining in his devotion to the person of jesus his theology was orthodox but fragrant and sweet as everything about jesus might properly be expected to be his conception of eternal life for instance is beautiful in itself and if i mistake not is nearer in spirit to john seventeen three than that which is current among us to-day life eternal says nicholas is naught other than that blessed regard wherewith thou never ceasest to behold me yea even the secret places of my soul with thee to behold is to give life tis unceasingly to impart sweetest love of thee tis to inflame me to love of thee by love's imparting and to feed me by inflaming and by feeding to kindle my yearning and by kindling to make me drink of the dew of gladness and by drinking to infuse in me a fountain of life and by infusing to make it increase and endure now if faith is the gaze of the heart at god and if this gaze is but the raising of the inward eye to meet the all-seeing eyes of god then it follows that it is one of the easiest things possible to do it would be like god to make the most vital thing easy and place it within the range of possibility for the weakest and poorest of us several conclusions may fairly be drawn from all this the simplicity of it for instance since believing is looking it can be done without special equipment or religious paraphernalia god has seen to it that the one life and death essential can never be subject to the caprice of accident equipment can break down or get lost water can leak away records can be destroyed by fire the minister can be delayed or the church burned down all these are external to the soul and are subject to accident or mechanical failure but looking is of the heart and can be done successfully by any man standing up or kneeling down or lying in his last agony a thousand miles from any church since believing is looking it can be done any time no season is superior to another season for this sweetest of all acts god never made salvation depend upon new moons nor holy days or sabbaths a man is not nearer to christ on easter sunday than he is say on saturday august third or monday october fourth as long as christ sits on the mediatorial throne every day is a good day and all days are days of salvation neither does place matter in this blessed work of believing god lift your heart and let it rest upon jesus and you are instantly in a sanctuary though it be a pullman berth or a factory or a kitchen you can see god from anywhere if your mind is set to love and obey him now someone may ask is not this of which you speak for special persons such as monks or ministers who have by the nature of their calling more time to devote to quiet meditation i am a busy worker and have little time to spend alone i am happy to say that the life i describe is for every one of god's children regardless of calling it is in fact happily practised every day by many hard-working persons and is beyond the reach of none 
Many have found the secret of which I speak, and without giving much thought to what is going on within them, constantly practice this habit of inwardly gazing upon God. They know that something inside their hearts sees God. Even when they are compelled to withdraw their conscious attention in order to engage in earthly affairs, there is within them a secret communion always going on. Let their attention but be released for a moment from necessary business, and it flies at once to God again. This has been the testimony of many Christians, so many that even as I state it thus I have a feeling that I am quoting, though from whom or from how many I cannot possibly know. I do not want to leave the impression that the ordinary means of grace have no value. They most assuredly have. Private prayer should be practiced by every Christian. Long periods of Bible meditation will purify our gaze and direct it. Church attendance will enlarge our outlook and increase our love for others. Service and work and activity, all are good and should be engaged in by every Christian. But at the bottom of all these things, giving meaning to them, will be the inward habit of beholding God. A new set of eyes, so to speak, will develop within us, enabling us to be looking at God while our outward eyes are seeing the scenes of this passing world. Someone may fear that we are magnifying private religion out of all proportion, that the us of the New Testament is being displaced by a selfish I. Has it ever occurred to you that one hundred pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So one hundred worshippers met together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity-conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. Social religion is perfected when private religion is purified. The body becomes stronger as its members become healthier. The whole church of God gains when the members that compose it begin to seek a better and higher life. All the foregoing presupposes true repentance and a full committal of the life to God. It is hardly necessary to mention this, for only persons who have made such a committal will have read this far. When the habit of inwardly gazing Godward becomes fixed within us, we shall be ushered on to a new level of spiritual life more in keeping with the promises of God and the mood of the New Testament. The triune God will be our dwelling place even while our feet walk the low road of simple duty here among men. We will have found life's summum bonum, indeed. There is the source of all delights that can be desired. Not only can naught better be thought out by men and angels, but naught better can exist in mode of being, for it is the absolute maximum of every rational desire than which a greater cannot be. O Lord, I have heard a good word inviting me to look away to Thee and be satisfied. My heart longs to respond, but sin has clouded my vision till I see Thee but dimly. Be pleased to cleanse me in Thine own precious blood, and make me inwardly pure, so that I may with unveiled eyes gaze upon Thee all the days of my earthly pilgrimage. Then shall I be prepared to behold thee in full splendor in the day when thou shalt appear, to be glorified in thy saints and admired in all them that believe. Amen. End of chapter 7